0: Hi, and welcome to The Rolled Stone, episode 6. Today's episode is called, It's in the Bible, isn't it? We're going to look at some common sayings that were thought to be in the scripture, but actually aren't. So sit back, enjoy, and let's go ahead and get to it. Hi, and welcome to The Rolled Stone, episode 6. It's in the Bible, isn't it? This episode is going to cover some of the more common sayings that people use and they think there actually are in scripture, but they really aren't. So one thing we've done is we've gone through and we've compiled a list. And I don't think that this is an exhaustive list, but these are the ones that tend to be used over and over again uh, that, you know, people will say like, you know, certain things like you know, God helps those who helps themselves, stuff like that. So it's not a complete list, but I try to grab the ones that I see used consistently. And I think that, you know, it's important to know that we can't be just saying that something's in the Bible because I've seen on, a lot of social media people will take, you know, scripture and they'll just throw something on a, a saying and say it's in the Bible. Nobody ever checks it. And they just walk around and they repeat it and they repeat it and they repeat it. And then we run into a problem because now we got people quoting things that they think are scriptural but actually are not. So I thought this would be a good thing to go through and just kind of hit on a few of these. And we could talk about them and where they came from and what they mean. So the first one I want to do is, uh, I'm sure everybody's heard this one, money is the root of all evil. I hear that all the time. You know, everybody talks about money. They always say, oh, it's the root of all evil. It's everything. But that's not actually what Timothy says. And this is addressed in 1 Timothy 8.11. He says, if we have food and covering, with all these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So right there, he's not saying that the money is the root of all the evil. It's people's love of money that causes all sorts of evil. It causes people to think about money more. They put money before God. They they worship money before God. They wander away from everything that they should be holding dear because they want more money. They desire it and it will lead them right into destruction. They'll do foolish things. They'll fulfill any harmful desire just to get that money because they love it. And that's what we have to be careful about. So it's not that money itself is evil. It's the love of it and putting it before God that is evil. God helps those who help themselves. This one I've heard a lot and people use this, especially when they're having some problems and they're not They're feeling like they're just overwhelmed, and they say, well, you know, God will help those who help themselves, so I better help myself, so God will help me. God actually didn't say this. This actually came from Hercules. It is from uh, one of the Aesop fables called Hercules and the Wagoner. So in the fable, Hercules comes across this wagoner that has his wagon stuck in the mud. So the wagoner prays to Hercules and asks him, you know, hey, you know, I need you to help me move this wagon, because everything I'm doing is making it sink more. And Hercules' response is, "Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help those who help themselves." So this is not even close to what God wants. This has nothing to even do with God. This is something that's completely taken out of context. People hear it, they just remove the "s" and said, "Oh, hey, you know, God helps those who help themselves." But the thing with God is He wants you to lean on Him, and He wants you to lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. No, not the whole just, you know, chin up, carry on type of thing. He wants you to look to him to help you with those burdens. He doesn't want you to do it by yourself. If you look at Romans 5, 6 through 9, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So here we see that God is demonstrating his love by giving his son to die for us. So it's not saying, hey, you know what? Sorry, you're on your own. Forget about it. You know, I tried. You guys didn't listen. Good luck. I'll help you if you help yourself. That's great. You know, good good job there, I guess. No, God's saying, look, I've always been there for you. I've always tried to help you and guide you. I've given my son for you. Lean on me. I am here to help you. That is what he is saying. Now let's talk about the garden. Genesis 3.6. Talks, everybody talks about, oh, it's an apple. It doesn't say what it is. It just says fruit. Bottom line is we don't know what fruit they ate. It could be a lot of things. Uh, there's been speculation that it's a pomegranate, that it's an apple, it's a pear, it's a peach. It's a fruit we never even heard of. Some people think that it's even a spiritual fruit that actually never really existed in the physical world ever. We just don't know because it doesn't say. But the problem is, is why we're sitting around talking about whether it's an apple or a pomegranate or whatever it is, I think we're missing the point. The point of it is the consumption of that fruit was an act of disobedience, which then called a spiritual death. That's what we need to really about. That's what we need to look at and go, okay, that's what messed up everything. Now we need to fix it on our end. You know, people talk about the apple, you know, great. Let them have it. It's not a big deal, but just remember that we don't know exactly what kind of fruit it is. It was just a fruit. A whale swallowed Jonah. This is something that people, you know, write down all the time. They talk about it. You know, there's songs about it, all sorts of things, but checking multiple translations, there is nothing that says it's a whale; it just says that it's a great fish or a sea creature, and according to a lot of scholars, it was just a large sea creature of undetermined species. Nobody knows really where the whale idea came from, but the thought is is that you know you see a whale it's a very large animal. nobody really then understood how whales eat things and how they you know how big their esophaguses are and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is that. In the translations, it doesn't really say whale. It says great fish or sea creature. But the problem with this is as we're arguing, once again, it's kind of like the apple situation. As we're arguing about whether or not this is a whale, is it a fish, is it a sea creature, whatever it is, we need to focus on what the actual story behind this means more than arguing about whether or not it's a whale. Okay, We can say it's a whale just so we have some relevance of like, okay, it was a very large animal you know, as we're older, you know as children, this is great, but as we get older, we need to understand that it was just a great fish or sea creature. This is one I hear a lot. God will not give you more than you can handle, and this is usually said when things happen in your life, you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, your car breaks down, causes a lot of stress, you're got a lot of things going on, a lot of pokers in the fire, and you just say this and like, go, well, God won't give me this if I couldn't handle it and this comes out of First Corinthians, and Paul tells us. Through this, the following No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way to escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Okay, he's talking about temptation. He's not talking about stress. He's not talking about whether or not you have a lot of issues going on in your life. He is talking about temptation. Now, some temptations are stressful, of course. But there's no mention of God giving you more than you can handle in life. He will, and in his faithfulness to us, give us a way to deal with that temptation, to escape that in temptation. But he's never going to just be like, oh, I'm just not going to give you more than you can handle. No, he doesn't do that. What he does, though, is give you a way to handle that stuff in your life, to handle those stresses. And that is going back to leaning on him, leaning on your brothers and sisters in Christ, submitting yourself to God. So God will not give you more than you can handle. Not in the Bible. The three wise men. This is going to be a short one. There's actually no mention of how many wise men there were. The thought is that there's three gifts, therefore three wise men. But it never really says how many are there. It's a minor point, but it's actually not in the Bible. So if you want to go take a look at it, go ahead. But, you know, I don't think this is something really in a heated discussion with somebody over theology over. But I just wanted to mention it. God works in mysterious ways this is a yes and no one. There's actually no record of a prophet or apostle saying this in the Bible, but it does have its roots in Isaiah 55, eight through nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So does God work in mysterious ways, doing things that we just don't understand? Yes, but they're not mysterious in the sense of not having a reason and just, they just happen. This idea is also reinforced in Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine: the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law in Romans eight, twenty-eight, And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what it boils down to is, is just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's mysterious. Okay, there's, there's, it's not like, oh, this happened for no reason. It's just weird. This occurred. No, it's not weird. It occurred. God made it happen and he did it for a reason. We just because we don't understand it because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways, it does not make it mysterious. Moderation in all things. This is something that folks think comes from the Bible, but in fact, it's actually from Aristotle's doctrine of the mean. And this can be found in his Nicomachean Ethics. And of course, people know that this kind of means, you know, middle ground, find the middle ground, you know, moderation, don't overdo it, but just kind of find that nice, happy balance. Now, this can also be a reference, though, in 1 Corinthians 9.25, and this is probably why people think it's in the Bible. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, so they do it to obtain a perishable wreath but we and imperishable. So he's talking about this. He's saying, you know, don't overdo it. Don't when the runners are out there running, they're all running, but the ones that exercise self-control are the ones who are going to win the wreath because they're not going to push themselves too fast, you know, too hard, too fast and burn out before the race is over. So they're going to make sure they have an even keel. And then when the time is right, then they're going to win. They're going to you know kick it in overdrive and win. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. The race is a metaphor, obviously, for you know, how, we, how our faith should be. And it's a thing where our wreath is not going to be perishable. Our faith will actually give us the imperishable afterlife that was promised to us. Be in the world, not of the world. This is another one of those kind of on the fence. Okay, so you're not really going to find the exact quote. But there are several areas that express this thought in the scripture. John fifteen nineteen, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And in John seventeen fourteen fifteen, 15, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. And Romans 12, through two. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So not an exact quote, you're not going to find "be in the world, not out of the world. It's kind of a paraphrase. So if you're looking for this in scripture, you're not really going to find those words together in that, in that grouping. But if you look at the scripture, you're going to see multiple examples of God talking about this and the prophets talking about this and the apostles talking about this. You're in this world and it's terrible, but you need to understand that because you're a follower of God, this world's not going to like you. They're going to hate you. They're going to despise you because of what you have. And that's what they're saying here. Hate to sin, not to sinner. This actually came from a writing uh, by Augustine in AD 424 that says, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. It was also spoken by Mahatma Gandhi, who wrote hate to sin, not to sinner in 1929. And this concept is actually seen in Jude 22, 23, where he says, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So bottom line, if you hate the sin and not to sinner, then you can actually help those people, like Jude is saying, he's saying, snatch them out of the fire, you know, show mercy on those folks that are sinning, because we're all sinners. We all have our problems. And on some have mercy with fear, you know, the fear of, of what's going on with them, you know, but show them mercy. Cause if we go around and we hate the sin and the sinner then what's the point? I mean, at that point, you're not going to talk to them. You're not going to try. You're not going to try to reach them. You're not going to try to help them because you know if you step back, you look in a mirror, we're all sinners. We all have our issues. We all have our problems. So this is the thing where, you know, we, we don't have to like the sin. We don't have to agree with the sin, but we cannot be hating the sinner when we ourselves do the same thing. So we need to make sure that we're helping them and we're loving them as you love yourself, because that was one of the commandments we were given by Christ was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Cleanliness is next to godliness. There are a lot of scriptures that talk about ritual cleanliness, but nothing actually says this. This is one of those sayings that originates somewhere else, and there's some speculation that it came from a Middle Eastern origin. Um, You can see, though, why folks would think that it's in the Bible, because it makes sense. There are references to being cleansed of our sins in the book of Leviticus and talks about a bunch of ritual cleansing. I think this is a paraphrase. I don't think they're talking about physical cleanliness. I don't think they're talking about like, oh, you gotta go take a shower because that's next to godliness if you're squeaky clean, you know, and your your hair smells good. I think this is more of a spiritual thing. I think it goes back to those Levitical laws about ritual cleansing. I mean, that just kind of makes sense to me. You know, you tell me what you think, but I think that's what they're talking about here. Pride comes before the fall. Not in there. This, I think, originated like some of the others where somebody just kind of paraphrased the scripture. In this case, it's Psalm 16, 18, where he states, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's the same idea. I think that the the psalmist has more information on that than just, it's about your pride. But he's talking about hubris. He's talking about haughtiness. He's talking about all these things that will cause you to fall but he starts with the pride. So I also like the fact that it doesn't just say fall about pride, but destruction. So to me, that means this is a lot more serious. So he's saying that your pride goes before your destruction. So your pride is going to get you in trouble. It's going to destroy you. And then your spirit's going to get haughty. You're going to think that, oh, I'm better than everybody else. I'm better than God. I'm better than anything. And that's when you fall. So we have to be careful about our pride that it doesn't lead us to that path of destruction. I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast on The Rolled Stone. Once again, if you have any questions, please submit them to therolledstone at outlook.com. I look forward to hearing from you and hope that you continue this journey with God and Jesus long beside us. Have a wonderful day.